0: Good afternoon everyone. You know one time I was a Boy Scout. I think it was 105 years ago. At least they had character back then. But almost was promoted to tenderfoot. And that's about the lowest you can get in the Boy Scouts. So it is a wonderful organization. It was very profitable for me at that time to be a part of it. And And that's what we need more of, is more moral character for our young people as well. Let me just say, uh, I forgot to talk to Mr. Ames about this. I was a little bit late, almost late. I had to turn around and go back home. I left something. I left my wife. (laughs) So instead, I brought the snow and the ice with me as well. But I forgot to mention to him that um, the... Hilton there, we did block 20 rooms, I think, at first. They were taken up rapidly, so we extended that. If you are interested in staying there at the Hilton Hotel, it's $69, and all you have to do is tell them you're a member of the Living Church of God. And we look forward to a wonderful weekend. I mean, we're looking forward to the best weekend ever. We have people coming across the United States here, and probably one or two in Canada, so they'll come here, and we'll give them some real ice and snow during that time. But we look forward to a Friday night Bible study, uh, which will begin at 7 o'clock, and fabulous uh, uh, Sabbath services and a wonderful meal together. But we have that dance coming up as well, and, you know, the band was gracious enough to give up their Christmas, I guess, or have it that afternoon for us, and they certainly enjoyed being with all of us and watching all of us dance. And, have a wonderful time so we hope all of you will be able to come uh, it's a family affair and i know you're looking forward to it as much as uh, as much as i am have you ever noticed the newscasters at night they'll say good evening then proceed to tell you how bad it is <laughs> so i'm almost afraid to get up here and say good afternoon everyone <laughs> then tell you how bad you are <laughs> but uh... that's the way it works and You know, one time I learned something, I guess, this past week that I'd like to share with you. We're never too old to learn, but at the feast, people come up and say, do you remember me? Don't you know who I am? You say, well, I don't quite know who you are, but I remember your face. So I've learned a lesson after reading this here, and I want to share it with you. That You have to be careful when you go up and ask somebody, do you know who, who I am? Now, this lawyer was uh, trying a case, and he called his first witness to the stands in the trial. A grandmotherly, elderly woman, he approached her and asked, Ms. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. (laughs) You lie, you cheat on your wife. You manipulate people, talk about them behind their backs. You think you're the rising star, a big shot, when you have the brains to realize you never will amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. So the DA was stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and asked Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She said again, Why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. uh, Bradley since he was a youngster, too. I used to babysit for him, for his parents, and he, too, has been a big disappointment to me. He lies, he cheats, he gets drunk, he manipulates people, he overcharges people. Yes, I know him. So the old judge grabbed the gavel, brought the court to order. He said he called the two lawyers there. And he whispered, he said, either one of you guys ask if she knows me, I'll hold you in a contempt of court. <laughs> so, so you better be careful, you know, like that. So that's the way it, that's the way it works sometimes, and, and we understand those situations. <clears throat> You know, uh, since I've been here for the last seven months, it's been a real privilege for my wife and I to, hear, to help and serve the people and get to know the people very well. And we have these wonderful Bible studies and home Bible studies, which gives an opportunity for all of us to eat their good food and, and enjoy each other and, and talk about God in his wonderful way. You know, God's church is like an army when you think about it. We sing that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, and Verse 2 says, you know, onward Christian soldiers, that verse says, like a mighty army moves the church of God. And brethren, we are traveling where the saints have trod. We're not divided, but all one body we. Love, hope, and charity, that's what we are in essence. And that's what makes God's church. It's the love of God that binds us all together. It's that love that makes us an army. And, brethren, the ultimate goal, I believe, for all the members of God's church is become one big happy family. And when you're happy, you give more, you produce more, and, you know, you watch people around you aware of their situation, you want to help them, you become more people-oriented. So that's what life is all about, is learning, as we heard in the sermonette, and I'd like to continue along that theme, is preparing ourselves for greater service as well. As we get to know each other, we understand each other's needs and problems, and we can encourage each other. And we all need encouragement from time to time. We all need a pat on the back from time to time. And life is worth living if we live it according to God's way. Now, the late Hubert Humphrey, he was a senator from Minnesota. He said the worst moment in his life was when he found out he had terminal cancer. It was such a shock he realized that his life was coming to an end. So once he got over the shock, he thought, well, I'm going to live my life until I die. So he wrote an article, the Reader's Digest, and the article said, why quit? That was the title of the article. And he mentioned there about living his life until he dies. He wasn't going to give up at all. But he made two profound statements in that article that really struck me. I wrote them down and I've used them a lot and I think a lot of, a lot of times about it as Christians. He said it's not what you've lost in life that counts, but what you still have. Now, there's not a person here has lost something in life. We've all lost friends probably because of the truth. We maybe lost jobs or wives or children because of the truth. But what we still have, we still have God's truth. We still have, have a mission to do for God. That's what we still have. That's what we hold on to as a family, as a work that God has given us to do. Now, the second point he made is not how you live, but what you live for. And we have to ask ourselves every day, what are we living for? We have to live a certain way every day of our lives, according to God's standards. So the title of this sermon is Sacrificing the Present for the Future, Your Future. Your Future. However, it requires sacrificing this present life that we're living and giving our lives totally to God. Now, a true Christian has to live that way of life. He has to learn that way of life. He has to learn the way of salvation so he can teach that when Christ comes. The way of salvation. And so it it takes sacrifice on our part. Now, believe, brethren, that we are rock solid. We're on good footage, good foundation. That nobody can take that crown from us. That we have to fight to maintain that crown. People will try to take it from you. Satan will. And this world certainly will. So God has called a bunch of fighters. Not a bunch of sissies. Not somebody that gets their feelings hurt over nothing. As Mr. Meredith said last week, we've got to look at the big picture. Always look at the big picture. Why God call me. It's the greatest calling, greatest honor that's ever bestowed on any human being. It's to be called a son of the living God and know you are God's son. And nobody can ever take that from you or that right from you. So we've counted the cost. And sometimes it costs to be a Christian. It costs God something for us to be a Christian. It costs Him His son. And God is very patient with us as well. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 23 of Luke chapter 9, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, see, to follow me, to follow where Christ leads, let him deny himself, sacrifice himself, his desires, his flesh, you know, for something else. And follow me daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world in himself and destroys or lost, if he's destroyed or lost? What profit does it, brethren, at the end of life? If we don't live that life until death, what profit would it be for us? We can't take anything with us except our good name or the character. We cast all we can take with us, waiting for the resurrection. So there's no profit in this world. All it is is heartache, disappointment. That's all it is. That's all you read about today. Disappointment. People lining up for blocks to get a little help for heat. And I remember those times back in the 30s. Here, and my daddy talked about that. They lined up for soup. I mean, for Blocks. Just get soup. Now, that's coming again. It's going to be a tremendous sacrifice of some people. But God has promised you and I a way out if we'll take it. He promises us, if our heart is in that work, in what He wants us to do, that we don't have to worry at all because God said He would take care of us. So we have to take up our cross daily and get ready to endure hardship Now, none of us know what we're going to face uh, next week or next two weeks or next year. We have no idea. But we know God is in charge. He's in charge of His church. He's in charge of His work. And nobody can stop His work. And that work will be finished. It will be finished, as God states in His Word. In In Matthew chapter 10, there again we read in verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, if a person does not take whatever he's called upon to do, whatever he's called upon to give up, whatever he's called upon to cut those things out of his life, but keep him out of God's kingdom, he says, not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. See, So we have to be worthy. Remember what Luke said in Luke 21, verse 36. Pray always that you'll be counted worthy to escape all of these things. Well, brethren, family is dear to all of us. Family, life. We understand that. But Jesus said we must be willing to forsake family if need be. For his cause. That we can't put anybody ahead of him. Or that cause or that mission that he's called us to fulfill. Now since I've been in the church, I've seen families leave. I've seen wives take their husbands out. I've seen children take their families out. They didn't count the cost. They forgot about what Jesus said. They put the family ahead of the work of God that God had called us to, to do. And we've seen that. I've lost friends. I've seen friends leave the church. Forgot about why God called them. Forgot about the mission. Forgot about following Christ. Forgot about the cross that they were to bear. They couldn't bear it. So consequently, they weren't worthy of the calling. And that's why I said we have to fight. Ever since I've been in the church of God, people have tried to take me out, being negative, against authority. They don't like somebody. You know, people said, Mr. League, you're narrow-minded. You know, you're closed-minded. I said, no, I'm open-minded. But I'm not open-minded enough for my brains to fall out. <laughs> See? That's one thing. You can be open-minded, but keep your brains, <laughs> you know, keep your brains there. So in Luke chapter 14, we use this at baptismal counseling. And usually when I'm counseling people for baptism, I'm telling them that you're making a covenant with God. The Bible terms and conditions, a contract you're making with God. And God wants you to understand what it's going to cost you. Before you accept that, you have to understand what you're going to have to give up in order to please God. Do what is pleasing in His sight. So we read that scripture in verse 25 of Luke 14. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, does not hate or love less his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The people who love you the most will be the people who try to get you to give up. And it's usually families that love you the most. Because say you're crazy or in are nuts, uh, you know, you keep going to that old church and they're splitting here and they split splitting there and they're doing this. I don't care what anybody else does. That's not my concern. My concern is, am I going to follow Christ? See, that's my concern. He's the only one can save me. Jesus Christ, the ruler, the head of the church. And I've seen people who try to take over his position, you know, get him out. I'm going to save the church. I'll become the Savior. Say, I'll save the church. Well, when I went to the Protestant church, you know, they give an altar call. They would say, well, never mind the Father. I am opening up the doors for you to come. You come on down. See, without ever understanding that the Father is the one that gives us to Christ and understands that. So, brethren, we have some dark days ahead of us. We may not see that right now, but I have been warned, you have been warned, I have for almost fifty years of these things that are coming. Am I prepared for that? I don't know. I have no idea until I face that. I'm hoping I'm prepared for it, but I have to face it first. I hope I've counted the cost that God is. Loves me, you know, I, I should love myself a whole lot less than, than uh, loving God more. So it's the cost that is involved. That daily we have to, you know, deny self. We have to sacrifice ourselves for the needs of others. We have to think about others, not self. People go to church in a Protestant, you know, churches, we would say, the Protestant churches... And all they think about is what I can get out of it, what makes me feel good. It's not the way it is in God's church. God's church is to tell you how to help somebody else, how to serve others, how to build up others. Not to make you feel good. You feel good by helping others. See. And that's one thing about, you know, God's church. So life has its hurts, its setbacks, its disappointments, its failures. But we have to be able to take that setback, that failure, a disappointment, and move forward and not be defeated. Keep moving. Keep marching along the way. So we have to keep going. And we must be willing to cut out of our lives the things that might hurt us, that keep us out of God's kingdom. Now wouldn't that be horrible to go before Christ as we heard that I don't know you. I don't. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was naked, and you clothed me not. You you missed those opportunities, and so we really need to understand more and more that in this life, it's going to be hard for us. Life without sacrifice is life unfulfilled. If we don't sacrifice, our lives are always unfulfilled. If anyone lives to satisfy himself, no one is satisfied. If I'm just trying to satisfy myself, I satisfy no one. And God has called us to come out and help others, to be prepared to help others when that time comes. <clears throat> now you've heard people say, I don't do that anymore. I used to be that way, but I'm not that way anymore. See? It's not what we don't do that counts with God. It's what we do. It's the doer of the word. It's not what we've given up. It's what we have to do. Because we've given up something. We are doing something now that is profitable. That will reward, that will reward us in the end. Now, Mr. Ames and I were talking one day in his office, and, and uh, I mentioned to him, I said, one of the most difficult problems one may have is getting the religion out of their throats, into their muscles. See, Now, you think about that. It takes muscle. It takes true grit to obey God. It's not easy. God didn't say it'd be easy. It's tough. It's really tough to pray, to study, to fast, to tithe, go to the feast. You know, when you face a difficulty, we tend to more or less uh, choose uh, not God necessarily. I remember one time this family came to the house unexpectedly. And it was on the weekend. We were going to church. It came in on Friday evening. And I told them, I said, we're going to church tomorrow, but... The house is open to you. You know, you just make yourself comfortable until we get back. We'll probably be back around 5 o'clock that afternoon. And I didn't feel like I was obligated to entertain them at all. I felt like I was supposed to be in church where God commanded me to be. Not necessarily to entertain somebody. Talking about the world or football games or politics. see? Where God has commanded me in my household to assemble ourselves together that we may learn the way to salvation, that we can teach that, that way of salvation to others when that time comes. You think about it. We've been given the most precious, awesome knowledge, way of life, God's spirit, understanding that's ever been given to any generation. Just think about how much knowledge, understanding, so few have. Just few of us have that understanding and knowledge that God has given to us. In your office, you probably have stacks of magazines, booklets, letters, correspondence courses. The church offers spokesman club, leadership training class for those who desire to do better, to learn even more of God's way of life. We offer everything, free, free. God's people and all of those at your disposal or you get on the internet and download anything you want to concerning truth God has made that possible for us it took a miracle God raised up somebody in that end time or this end time by the name of mr. Herbert W Armstrong and when you read the mystery of the ages on page 228 He said that when he was five years old, a young lad, God put in his mind a craving or desire for understanding, that he wanted to understand life, apparently. And we know how he struggled with that. We know how he struggled with the Sabbath. We know how he struggled with the holy days. But he began to understand when he surrendered totally to God. And he mentioned Solomon desired wisdom. And God gave him wisdom above all. There's nobody like Solomon has been with wisdom. And I believe if you were, I'm not a historian, but if you go back to the original church, from that church, from there on down, I don't believe there's anybody like Mr. Armstrong who had that knowledge, who had that understanding. What a great man he was, restoring all that knowledge to the church of God. The original knowledge that was taught by Christ to the apostles. The original knowledge. And God says, because you have not denied my name and kept my word, I'll keep you from that hour of tribulation. The original knowledge that we have. It's priceless. You can't buy it. It sets us free. It gives us peace and joy. It all comes from God. It all comes from understanding of God who has freely given us that, that understanding of God. So that's why that we owe so much gratitude to God for raising up Mr. Armstrong, where Mr. Meredith was taught by him. He's carrying on what he was taught, what he was taught he's carrying on. We're all carrying on that message until the very end. And God said, that's it for you. That is it for you. Now, I'll I'll Protect you from the place of, you know, from persecution. Just think about it, young people, what you have. You don't have to die, apparently. God can protect you and take you to a place of protection if your heart is in God's work. And you're willing to sacrifice the present for the future. Put God first. Desire God's way first. Instead of the world. Because all is out in the world is disappointment. Heartache, setbacks, you name it. Some of us have been through all of that. It's really not worth it But young people you can give up your future if you want to That's up to you. If you think the world is more is going to offer you more than God? Think the world can give us eternal life. You think the world can offer us a future? Look at the mess the world is in We have no leaders bunch of effeminate men cannot make decisions. They try to please everybody except God. In the church, we please God. We seek to please Him. Not self. We're not men pleasers. We seek to please God, what is pleasing to Him. And we grow in that knowledge, in that understanding. So, brethren, we've been given all of this knowledge, all of this understanding... And we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? What have I done with the knowledge that God has given to me over these past years? I ask myself that for the past 50 years. The more I grow in the church, the less I know. See? The older you get, the less you know. And I've often told young people, well, you know everything, why don't you leave home? <laughs> Where well, you know everything, see? But, you see, the more we grow, our minds expand, that we can encompass almost the universe. When I first came into the church, I didn't know anything but my community. You know, that's all I was interested in, my community, football team, football game. Then I came into the church... And all of a sudden they were telling me you got to pray for people in Africa and South Africa and Argentina and all these different countries. My mind began to expand, you see, began to understand what it's all about. It began to enlarge, see, that you can take in the work of God around the world. So when they talk about we're in so many countries, you can understand that and thank God for that. Thank God He's opened up television stations for us. And if we had the money, we could probably go on more of them. But it's not God's time. We need the power that comes from God's Spirit to validate what we're teaching. And that will come, as Mr. Meredith has said so many times. The power that has to come from God. Not only Jesus was filled with God's Spirit, but He was filled with the power of God. God. To work all those miracles. See. You know, Jesus had the Spirit without measure according to the Apostle, I mean, uh, John the Baptist. But when he did receive power, he went about doing good. He used that power to help people. And God will give us that power if we want to help people in his time. And we need to pray for it. We have God's Spirit. We need that power. The power to forgive, the power to love your enemies, the power to heal. See, That's what we need. We need to pray for it and understand that, that the apostles had that power. The 70 were given that power to go out and heal, preach the word with power, preach the message with power, you see. And they understood where that message was coming from. All that power that was given. And brethren, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. How much power did it take for God to give to Joshua to stop the sun? How much power did it take? How much power does God have? How much power did it take to float that axe? How much power did it take? Well, how much power does it take to heal cancer? We, of all people, live in a different world, the world tomorrow, where we have that power over certain things. Where God is our God. He's not the God of the world out there. He's our God. And our God wants us to be healthy, to be prosperous. We need that, that faith and that power. We need to pray for our, our evangelists, that God will give them that power to speak powerfully, which they are. But wouldn't it be nice, eventually, they could validate that with healing? You take if Jesus was here today, He'd be a rock star, wouldn't He? I mean, that they, they would just line up for miles and miles. Just see Him, television cameras all over the place. Just see what He looks like how he acts, how tall he is. They'd want to know. Back in his day, you see, they did that to him. But he was never too tired, never too busy to help somebody. Never. He always helped people, their needs. He was concerned for them, very compassionate for the needs of the people, to see them well and happy. You remember Zacchaeus? You ever read about about him? Little old bitty guy, short of stature, you know, tax collector. He heard that Jesus was coming. His crowd was so that he was couldn't see, you know, he's jumping up and down trying you've seen people when he's trying to see, see, trying to see, so he saw this tree, climbed up in the tree to watch Jesus. And Jesus came by and looked up at him and he said, Zach, just get out of that tree. You know, I'm going home with you. I'm going to live there for, for a day with you. Salvation has come to your house. Now, what was the testimony of this little man? If I've taken anything under false pretense, I'll restore it fourfold. I'll restore it, you see. That was the attitude that Jesus brought that people could hear a confession from someone they said was a sinner where Jesus loved, you see. He was never too busy to eat with sinners. If that's what had happened. We have no idea how many people Jesus healed during His ministry. No idea how many people He fed. How many demons He cast out of people. No idea. But He's the same Jesus of the yesterday, today, and forever. The same power. The same loving compassionate, who brought the Father's love to mankind. He showed how the Father loved. He did the work. But he had to go where the work would be done, where he could show that example of the Father in these situations. So you see, brethren, we have been given a whole lot of information, a whole lot of knowledge that we can just take for granted, and just take for granted, just slough it off, Right now, it doesn't bother me. Maybe a bit later on, I'll change. I'll come back to reality. But now is the day. Now is the time when we hear the voice of God. He said, now is the time, see, to evaluate oneself. So there are still problems, challenges yet ahead of us. And we have to understand that. There are problems ahead of us in this generation. We know what's going to happen to this generation. And I think all of us collectively are doing our best to encourage those who are on the telecast and writing the articles and the booklets and to help people to see. At least give them opportunity to make a choice. Because we love them. Brethren, we love people out there. You have to love what you're doing to serve people. You have to love people. And if you're happy, you become more people-oriented. You become aware of their needs, what they need. And we are that light to the people out there. You know, we're not isolated from people. We should love people and help people as much as we possibly can. Of course, we're not going to please everybody. But time forces one to make a decision. See? In a certain time, you'll have to make a decision. And it could hurt. It could be a life and death decision. Life and death for us if we make the wrong decision and start down the wrong way. So the decisions that we make should be based on God's truth. See? The truth that God has given to us. And make that decision based on the principles. As I mentioned, brethren, God has promised this era, the church, who's keeping the original teachings of the first church, of the apostles as they were taught by Christ, teaching that, we're keeping that, and God promises us a way of escape, a way of protection, and what a wonderful opportunity that is. But also, brethren, he says, uh, there is called a book of life. A book of life. If our name is not written in that book then there are some troubles ahead for those names that are not written in the book of life. There is a book of life. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will not forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. So he's trying to be a savior there, wasn't he? Well, if you don't forgive them, just take my name out. See, just take my name out. So God told him, he said, look, uh, uh, now therefore go and lead the people. That's your job. Lead the people. Teach the people. Lead them to that place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in that day when I visit for punishment, I will visit and punish. see. That's how great God is. He said, "Moses, go do what you are supposed to do. See? Go lead the people. And I'll take care of the rest." And but he said, "There is a book. Apparently his name was there. If he hadn't been there, he said, "Well, erase it." You know. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. In verse 18, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on servants or serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Did we rejoice over that? Does that make you rejoice to know that your name is in the book of life? If you're in the book of life, brethren, you have it made unless you have it erased, the book of life. Do we rejoice over that? Knowing that your name is in that book of of life. Let's turn now to Philippians chapter 4. I think most of you read this over and over. Philippians 4 verse 3, and I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement, also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So God, apparently, those he's called and are using had their names or their names are in the book of life. See, the book of life. As he says, then he said, rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice. You ever thank God for that, that you know your name is in the book of life? Is it there? See, the book of life? Each one has to ask the question. Is my name in the book of life? See, in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. In verse 5, He who overcomes, speaking to the Sardis church, He that overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. It shows then a name can be blotted out unless that individual overcomes. The mission that was given to them, to that era of the church, they went to sleep. Okay. Okay. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Uh, in verse 5, you know, of this book of life that Jesus is talking about in Revelation 13, verse 8. All who dwell on, dwell on the earth will, will worship him or that false prophet whose names have not been written in the book of life. So you see, brethren, if your name is there, you're not going to worship or be deceived by the beast power or by the false prophet, or by false miracles or false signs. If your name is in the book of life, that's what God promises. See? Now those who aren't in the book of life will be deceived and they will worship that beast and they worship that power. And that false prophet as well. In Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw, Revelation 17, verse 8. Was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition or destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. So we're not going to marvel if we have our names in the book of life. We're looking to that. We, we understand that's going to happen. We know about the, the beast power that's coming. It's been written about you know, in the 30s, 40s, it was talked about, the 50s, it was talked about. Sixties if it was talked about, seventies if it was talked about, eighties. Look at how many people that have left the church and forgot about that. Will their names be blotted out? If they don't fulfill their calling, their commission, will it be blotted out? Well, only God knows who are His and the mission that He's given them to fulfill. It is a divine mission, brethren. It does depend upon our human power. It depends upon the power of God. See, that job, you know, is to be done and given. In Revelation 20, verse 12. 81, verse 15. Let's just start with verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if their name is not there, it's death forever, because they didn't live the life. See? They lived the way that led to death, not the way that leads to salvation. And of course, if their name was not there, he said, it was cast they were cast into the lake of fire. Revelation twenty one verse twenty seven. But there shall be no means entering in anything that defiles or causes an abomination. You know, New Jerusalem. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those names that are recorded in heaven are in that book. They can be blotted out. My name could be blotted out if I were to turn on God. But I have no, I have no intention of turning on God. See, once you set your will... You know, my will is not to rob a bank. My will is set there, not to rob a bank. And I don't think anybody can make me rob a bank, you see. My will is not to eat glass. And I don't believe anybody can make me eat glass. I'd have to give my life probably. But once your will is set, Christ set His will not to sin. His will was set there. And nobody could force him to sin. So as the will of God becomes our will. And if your will is set to be faithful in God's church, nobody can take you out. Nobody has that power. Unless you change your mind or your will. But look what it could cost you. See? Why well, play around with it. As I've said, brethren, I know people have come in with me when my wife and I first came in, 17 of them. we were all about the same age, all filled with zeal and all filled with carnality. <laughs> and all of these things, we were just happy, one party, one go, happy-go-lucky people. And uh, we were all baptized, we all went to club together. We did a lot together. But something happened. I knew my wife and me, we said, well, as long as we stay in that party atmosphere, we'll never grow. The most difficult thing we ever did was come out of that atmosphere. Then we became enemies, enemies, see. We became Mr. Righteous, see. Holy Joes, so to speak. But I knew we couldn't grow in that atmosphere. And we kept going to church, we kept going to church. Okay, they started falling away. One of the men in the club with me, he's the one who started their organization, the big organization. He's, he was a daddy rabbit, you know, the beginning of it. But I knew back then his mind was on power. He wanted to be a, get ahead. He wanted to exalt himself. He was in training just for himself, not to help somebody else. Just exalt himself. That power. The people who look to Him instead of being in training to help somebody else. The sacrifice for others. To help them. You know, as the Bible tells us over and over, that we ought to think of ourselves more highly. You know that we ought to think. But now you see, God will be their judge. They will be judged out of the book. Their books will be open. Now we can say that's the Bible... Would it be the King James Bible? Would it be standard, you know, if the books are open? But he said people would be judged out of the books according to their work. And the smallest, minutest detail that you can do for persons, help a person, you'll be rewarded. A glass of water for somebody. A kind word for somebody. Pat on the back for somebody. There's nothing like picking up the phone from time to time and calling the widow. Said, I'm just thinking about you. Wonder how you're doing. Anything I can do for you. Or picking up the phone and when somebody may not have a ride to church. They're under heavy distress. Burden. They'd like to come to church. Just pick up the phone and said, I've been thinking about you. Do you need a ride to church? If you do, I'll come after you. You see, that relieves a burden. Stress. That is caring for somebody. That is sacrificing one's time to help somebody else. I remember in Greensboro that uh, we went into Greensboro in 1974, and it was all messed up. And these men who, I think I mentioned this, had 17 of them, met me at the door at the church building. Said, we don't tithe. What are you going to do about it? I said, nothing. It works. I do it, and it works. Then they kept on, you know, Mr. Armstrong spending this money, spending that money. And so I asked him, I said, you know, I just come from Pasadena. <clears throat> I was there for two years. I saw everything. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'll answer any question. But some of it's wrong, you see. So they came over to the house, and they started talking about, you know, spending here. And I said, let me let me just tell you something. I don't care when I give it to Mr. Armstrong. I don't care if he smokes it. You see, I give. And the giver does not tell, you know, the receiver how to spend something. If I give you a bottle of wine, I say, I want you to drink a half an ounce every day. See. When you give something, that's all you can do. See? More blessed to give. You don't tell the person what to do. You give somebody a tie, you don't say, well, I want you to wear it every other day. See? And so they were all messed up. And one Friday evening, this lady called, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and she called and said, Miss League, I'm down in my back and we don't have any food. And that, uh, would you call a deacon to come over? I said, sure. So I picked up the phone. I said, what am I doing here? So I got my wife, we went over there, we bought a nice roast, nice bottle of wine. We scrubbed their floors, washed their clothes, and we did uh, a lot for her or that family. We never said a word about it to anybody, but you know that did more good for me and my wife to gain their confidence, to gain their confidence, their trust in anything I could have done, of all the sermons I could have given That did more. And it would have been easy to send a deacon over there. see. But he had the Sabbath coming up as well. It was a sacrifice. But it's worth it. It's worth it that you win people over like that. So in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now I believe if you look at the Philadelphia era there it names three names, you know, for them. Three names. One is the holy city, use Jerusalem as a name, authority, in those situations. So finally let's turn to Daniel twelve on this book. And I think we can put a lot of confidence in this. as Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even at that time... And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So we don't have to worry, do we? Am I going to make it? All I need to do is keep my name there and do what Christ asked me to do. It plainly says everyone is found written in the book. So if we're in the book of life, if we are in the Philadelphia church... Era, church if we are there. That's why God promises. I will deliver you from this hour of trials and tests that's coming up on the whole world to test them Well, we're being tested now in one way. See, see whether or not we are following the mind of Christ. If we have his mind, which he had the father's mind. The mind of Christ. What did he do? How did he act? How did he treat people? How about the uneducated? What about the down and outers, we would say? What about the thief on the cross when he was dying in pain and suffering? He showed compassion, didn't he? He was very compassionate. And sometimes, brethren, it's very hard for us to forgive anybody. To forgive a brother. We need to be compassionate. I know a woman carried a grudge for 30 years. She could never forgive. Negative, hard, just constantly hard. You try to help her, there's no way you could do it. No matter how much you try to help her, her mind was set. So-and-so did that to me. And I'll never forgive that individual. I've seen people had to deal with people at foot washing who would not wash the feet, refused to wash the feet of that individual. And yet going to take pass, going to fulfill what Christ did. And that's what you see. She went on, I guess, as someone told me, she took the unleavened bread and she took the wine. But what good did it do? If she's not going to fill the deeds in, I can take wine and bread, but I gotta put the deeds there, the deeds of Christ. What did he do? How did he live? How did he act? Which he set that example for all of us to you know to follow. In first John chapter two, verse five But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. If we keep his word, see, he who says he abides in Him himself also to walk just as he walked. He was a living sacrifice. He sacrificed himself that three and a half years in the ministry. He did not try to please himself. He wasn't thinking about, oh, always me. He was always thinking about the father and the job that he was given to do this divine mission that he was, he was on. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We sacrifice the present for the future. See? Future Saviours of the world. We learn what it's like. We've been through it. We've experienced it. Like Christ, willing to lay our lives down, kindness, deeds, pat on the back, you know, encouragement. Shouldn't the church be a place of refuge, of encouragement? That we come in here, shouldn't we find rest? As Jesus said, Come unto me all you who labour and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Shouldn't people find rest in the house of God, among God's people? encouragement, asking, you know, how is is your week going? How are you doing? Now, some of us are shy, see, and we have to break out of it in a way. It's hard to overcome things, but we have to break out of it. We have to begin to think about others, brethren, as they come through the door. That is my brother. Christ in them is coming into the building. see, And it's where God is. He's with us. He's not next door. He's here with us. And so Christ first, you see, the first thing He did when He came to do the work of the Father, to bring the good news for mankind... He was sent on a divine mission, and yet he said in, you can read it there in John chapter 5, verse 19, of myself, I can do nothing. Of myself, I can do nothing. Now, he didn't threaten anybody. You know, he didn't go around beating people over the head, said, Don't you know who I am? You better quit talking to me like that. Man, I got your number. I'm going to remember you, you see, when you come through the pearly gates. (laughs) But he was lowly. He knew what he was. The Creator God. The Ruler. And nobody didn't necessarily have to tell him that. He knew it. And he wanted others to succeed. Like he he lived that life of success. He wanted others to do the same thing. Experience what he experienced in life so you see what an awesome calling you have loving that way of life willing to sacrifice yourself for that way of life so others can enjoy what you enjoy a light on the hill of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and brethren you can answer a lot of questions when somebody asks you something i've had you know our ladies tell me i don't want to preach i said well just let them ask you a question and see if you can stop. <laughs> we all like to talk about God and his work. We love it. So when we come together, isn't it nice that we just talk about him instead of what are you going to do next week? You're going to Pennies. <laughs> you know, I got to go to Kroger's right after services. Well, I'm going over here right after services. Can't. What time is Sabbath over? Can't wait to get rid of God. I don't mean to put it that way, but I think we can understand that church can be boring. It can be boring unless we understand why we're put into the church. Mr. Armstrong said we were drafted. You find that in his uh, Mystery of the Ages on page 231 that we were drafted. We didn't volunteer. I don't believe any of you volunteered. I didn't. I wasn't seeking God. I wasn't looking for God. I was drafted. And when I heard the power that come through that radio from Mr. Armstrong, it shook the radio. And I never heard anything like that. Never heard anybody speak that way. And you hear people today when, you know, you go visit and say, well, boy, i tell you, when I hear so-and-so on the television, it's just like listening to Mr. Armstrong. They say the same thing with the same kind of power when they're preaching the good news that's coming. And that makes you feel good when you hear that, that we're all part of it. See, No one person can do it. We're all part of the body of Christ, and it's that love that binds us together. And the more we sacrifice the present, the more God's going to give us toward the future to help future people who will be coming into the church. Also, John chapter 8, verse 29 talks about uh, Christ couldn't do, you know, on his own. John 10, verse 23. John 12, verse 23 through 26. John 14, verse 23. Over and over He said, it's the Father in me is doing the work. But he had to go someplace so the Father could do it. He worked, the Father worked through him. He had to go from town to town, people to people, so the Father could work through Christ. And be glorified through Jesus Christ. Just like we're working for him. Carrying on that same mission that Christ came. To deliver and we are going to have to have more power to accomplish what we need to accomplish in just in your future, as Dr. Meredith has asked and ask and ask and ask and ask, pray for god 's power, his spirit, and hopefully brethren we'll take that to heart. We are helpless, powerless to do anything other than preach the gospel, but we can do it with power, and people will take note. That that church is different. see, it is different than any other group or whatever, because we love what we're doing. We love God's people, we love people outside the church. We make them feel welcome. We could eat with them, share things with them. See, it's not their our enemies. And that's that mind of Christ, see, the mind that Christ has given us. So God's goodness, brethren, is in His power. Everything He does is good. He doesn't do anything bad. That's where His goodness is, is in the power. So when Jesus, according to the preaching of Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house, that an angel had told, more or less told, Cornelius what to do Peter be up there you know And deliver the message and you say you go down Cornelius Cornelius house you find him praying He already had that vision You know about clean and unclean So when he started preaching uh, Let's just Better if I just turn there to Acts chapter 10 But they all came to listen to what Peter had to say Acts 10 In verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. See, brethren, no partiality is in God. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, And began the Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. See? Who went about doing good after he received that power. Because that's what good is. is helping people. Relieving them of their suffering. He was prophesied to do that. And he did it. He fulfilled it. Good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, but God was with him. That God the Father, apparently, after John the Baptist baptized him, said he had the spirit without measure. Then when that dove descended like the Holy Spirit, that must have been when he received his power because he went out then, he was challenged by the devil, came back and started doing miracles. See? Because the time was ready. For that ministry to be validated, that he was sent from the Father, which they never heard, there were two in the Godhead. They wouldn't accept him. see, because the Bible says we only worship one God. They don't understand that. And yet Mr. Armstrong, through the ages, or through listening and walking and studying, he understood there are two: God the Father and God the Son. The son is the spokesman of the family, see. A family attitude. And he taught it to us. He first learned, then there's a spirit in man. And he had to seek counsel. I guess he waited and waited and waited for it to ever teach it. Look look what knowledge that is. That you have that knowledge, even some of the top scientists, psychologists, psychiatrists, have no understanding... What you understand. They're not even quite sure where life is. They're still trying to find, I guess. There's complete ignorance of God's way of life. Of God's way. Now, when I was working in the space program, I was around some of the smartest men. Smartest men in that round there. Put the man on the moon and all. You had some people; they were just like this. When you put them that way, they could do anything. But you removed the blinders; they didn't know how to tie the tie. They didn't know what color to wear, different kind of socks. You see, but when they came that one thing, they could do it. You put all of them together, and he put that man on the moon. And those astronauts who sat at the top of that Saturn V had, have complete faith in that rocket that would take the moon and bring them back. Complete faith in that mission control. When it took thousands and thousands and thousands of people to put that together. It took faith. Now if God is the mission control, see, and He's balanced He knows everything. So he's helping us on this divine mission that he sent Christ on. That we too need that power to do the job that, finish the job that that he was given to do. So Jesus Christ then is our example. And... Hebrews chapter, I mean, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, that we present it, that we love all mankind, you see. We love everybody as much as we possibly can. We try to get along with everybody if we can. That's our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. We sacrifice the world for the future. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or test what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we have to test it, brethren. We have to put it into practice. We have to see if it works. Can't take somebody's word for it, test it. Put it into practice. And you'll see that it works. In First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse thirteen. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. See, And that's the way that God's people should honor those who are doing the work. We're all part of it. Peace among ourselves. Honor those who are on the front line, the battle. Hold up their arms. Encourage them, as the Bible says. And understand. In Galatians 5. Turn to, back to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And I believe, I believe in Galatians 6, if you just turn over there. Let us not grow weary in well doing, or why doing good, you see. God's goodness is in His power. While we're doing good, don't grow weary. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity. Now, we don't go out looking for things. We just observe it. If we're happy, we begin to notice things. See. While we have the opportunity, Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, let me just read something here a moment. This individual has written a letter. He said, I would like to say that it is a delight to serve God for his promises of blessings are sure as the rising of the sun. The events in my life are an example of uh, of this. Just over a year ago, I was down and out. No job one-eighth-year-old suit of clothes, one-room basement apartment, shared with my nephew, and no automobile, a diet consisting mostly of soup and crackers, no one to turn to except God. As a result of my prayers, as well as those of the local church, brethren, God turned things around. In one year, one year's time, I had a job, several suits, nice apartment, a small car, and good food. I was also asked to furnish transportation to and from Sabbath services for a family of four adults and two children. However, with a small car, it was impossible. Then, on one of the holy days last year, during the feast, which I was not able to attend, I was taking a short nap, and a young lady came over a slippery hill, ran off the road, and hit my small car. The insurance company totaled it and gave me enough money to buy another car, which just happened to be a larger one, With four doors, a six-cylinder engine, economical to drive, I have also been saving my second tithe and will attend this year's feast. And there is still more. My mother just sold her house and told me she was going to give each of her her children $3,000. I still make a lot of mistakes, but the thing uh, different in my life now is that I constantly repent of them I am more aware of my mistakes and pray more, as well as bathe in the spiritual food God gives us through you. I always thank God for you and my pray- and your prayers, or my prayers, and ask the mission for which you were called. So you see, he prayed that God will give him a car. Now, he didn't realize that would be while well, he was taking a nap. <laughs> but in Erlanger, we had a family living about 50 miles out from church they asked if someone could come after them so this person, as member of the spokesman club he began to pray that god would give him a car he said you know i can't afford one but if you'll give me one i'll go after those people and bring the church one day after club he took me out there and he said here's a car god gave me it didn't cost me one penny it was just given to me i said what for he said to go after those people. as don't forget whose car that is. That's God's car. See? And if we pray and we want to help people and serve people, God will make that possible for us. But we have to see the need and pray that we can fulfill that person's need as much as we possibly can. So we need that as much as we can and think on those things. So as we yield to God in His Spirit, a miraculous change will come in our lives. We will be more aware of people, more aware of their situation. We want to help people. We'll have a different outlook. We'll become more kinder, more gentle, more understanding, understanding what they're going through and try to help them through it. So a major test, I believe, of how converted we are is how we respond to the needs of the unfortunate ones, how that we help those who can't help themselves. As Jesus pointed up the attitude and deeds of others that pleased Him, let us be more diligent and live that kind of life that's pleasing to our Savior.